Good evening. My name is David, and I'm currently a deacon here at Incarnation Anglican Church. Today is Ash Wednesday, which is a highly unusual day on the church's calendar. The service is different. The clergy are wearing all black, and it's one of the only two official days of fasting in the prayer book. It all aims to remind us of our mortality, summed up supremely when a cross of ash is imposed upon our foreheads. And then we carry this reminder around with us the whole day, and it all kicks off the season of prayer and penitence we call Lent. This is so that we might prepare our hearts for the resurrection joy of Easter. Shortly now, when you receive your ashes, you will hear the words, Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, maybe because it's getting late, or maybe it's because I was up all night with a sick baby, I'm kind of feeling like I'm dust already. <laughs> Does anybody else feel like dust at the moment? I mean, we've all been through a lot lately, right? So I only need to pick up a newspaper to remind myself of my mortality. So perhaps the reminder we hear today is a bit too on the nose. But thinking about it that way makes the occasion sound like Ash Wednesday is the bad news to Easter's good news. But on the contrary, today we proclaim good news when we impose those ashes and recite the words of Genesis 3.19. It's an odd choice, of course, to preach good news by repeating the curse God pronounced on our first parents after they had broken the rules he laid down in the Garden of Eden. At best, uh, the reminder that we are dust sounds like a warning a memento of that primordial transgression which brought into the world death and all our woe. So where is the good news, not despite or even in the ashes, but as the ashes? First, Ash Wednesday reminds us that we are not God, we are not immortal, not yet anyway, and that therefore this life is temporary, transitory, fleeting. Now, if we had no Heavenly Father, no eternal Word who became flesh to save us, and no Holy Spirit to renew and indwell us, then the dust and ashes are indeed terrible news. But the message of Ash Wednesday is that no matter how important you are, no matter your wealth, no matter your status, your power, or prestige, it is God who is our rock and foundation, and not we ourselves. He made us, and he upholds the world. As for you and me, we're all just passing through. When I was growing up, I enjoyed listening to a Christian comedian by the name of Mark Lowry, and a bit of the stand-up that always stuck with me was when he would share what his favorite Bible verse was. So he would ask his audience, would you really like to know what my absolute favorite Bible verse is? Well, I'll tell you, it's this. And it came to pass, that's it. <laughs> and it came to pass, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. Either it'll pass, or you will pass. Now, I'm not sure I could have articulated it back then, but Lowry was in his own way preaching the gospel of letting go. Especially when you're younger, without the benefit of hindsight's long reach, it can feel like your present condition, either good or bad, will stretch on forever. These, uh, these ashes reassure you that it certainly won't. You fell in love, it came to pass. You couldn't find love, it came to pass. You fell out with your best friend, it came to pass. You won the league of sports things, I'm not very good at this, <laughs> it came to pass. Indeed, 
All of heaven and earth will pass away, says Jesus, but my words will not pass away. The temporary things of this world are shadows of things to come. And if the shadows appear more stark on this day, taking on darker hues or sharper outlines, it is because of the brilliance of the eternal things that lie beyond them. Second, the good news is that your stuff will pass away too. Jesus commands his disciples in the gospel, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants to make sure his disciples don't chase after things of no value in the grand scheme of things, in the eternal scheme of things. So he commands them, don't do it. This is great news about a great offer extended to us by Jesus. We can rid ourselves of so much meaningless stuff and have things of infinite value that will last forever. Basil of Caesarea, a 4th century all-star saint and church father, puts it this way. That God is offering us the greatest deal ever. In the terms of his day, Basil says we have the opportunity to trade in worthless rocks and hunks of metal, that is, precious gems and gold, for nothing less than eternal life. In the language of our day, we even have a saying, it's just paper. Now, the question one would naturally pose at this juncture is, how? To take advantage of this bargain, how does one transfer their wealth on earth to heaven. Jesus himself explained it, and for centuries the church was nearly unanimous in understanding him to have explained it, that the transfer occurs by giving to the poor. As one church father put it, you deposit treasure in heaven when you use your earthly treasure to deposit food in the bellies of the poor. The commandment of Jesus, like all the commandments of God, is meant to be life-giving. It's not in the sense that people can earn their way to heaven or, God forbid, pay their way in, but rather in this instance, the commandment is literally life-giving and that life is quite concretely being given to the poor as sustenance. Spiritually, Jesus would give us life by severing the bonds that enslave us to our creature comforts. But that can only happen when we give it away. So that's the second piece of good news. You can't take it with you. You wouldn't want it even if you could. After all, who would want all that dead weight to encumber their soul's ascent to God? This is why almsgiving has always featured prominently in the season of Lent. Third, the good news has to do with the dust itself. I'm now speaking of our bodies, our flesh and blood and bones. We are mortal. Yes, and the earth is our body's origin and destiny. But the good news is that we were made by the Lord of all in his image and likeness, and that same Lord took our flesh upon himself. He will not abandon our bodies to decay, but one day restore and elevate them, and we will live embodied lives forever. The third century apologist Tertullian wrote a beautiful defense of our life as embodied creatures in his On the Resurrection of the Flesh. A false teaching was circulating in his day that while the soul is good, the flesh is evil, and therefore only the soul lives forever. 
God would never raise dead bodies. So when errant sects would cite Genesis, it was to denigrate the human body as being fashioned from dirt or dust. On the contrary, Tertullian writes, God honored the dust of the earth by endowing it with his image. The soil of this new world that God had made was dignified when he touched it and molded it with his own hands. Indeed, it was the supreme privilege of humans to be fashioned out of earth. The creator only spoke everything else into existence. People and people alone were made for the direct contact of the hand of God. Just look at what the pagans do, writes Tertullian. Quote, the hand of the sculptor Phidias builds out of ivory the Olympian god Jupiter, which is then worshipped, being no longer the tusk of a wild beast, but this world's supreme divinity. Not because the elephant is so great, but because Phidias is. And could not the living god, the true god, by his own operation, have cleaned away any baseness of his material and healed it of all infirmity? Or shall we suppose it more honorable for a man to have formed a god than for God to have formed man? For even if clay was an offense, it is now something else. It is flesh I now take hold of, not earth. You are, we are in some animated earth. That's now St. Augustine's phrasing. The Latin is quite pretty. Terra es animata. Dust with a soul. The thought should humble us, of course. You and I have an expiration date, along with all our things. So, of course, it is healthy to take stock of our finite lives in light of God's word, to take the true measure of ourselves and rely fully upon him and his grace. But in so doing, we should not only let the thought that we are made of earth cut us down to size, though that's important too. We're not souls encrusted with dust. We are dust that has been chosen, dust that has been shaped into God's image, dust that God has infused with his own breath. <laughs>